All right, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter, everybody. Welcome to River Heights Vineyard. If you are visiting with us today, we are super glad that you are here. May God's presence uh, find its way into your life this morning. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to deliver the message this morning. And every Easter, we have a tradition we follow. It's derived from a traditional Eastern Orthodox greeting and response. Here's how it goes. Three times, I'm going to say, he is risen. And if you like, you can say, he is risen indeed. The goal is to get louder each time. And so we end on a crescendo. This is a way of celebrating the religious significance of our holiday together. And so here we go. One, two, three. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Nicely done. Children's Church would be proud of us. He is risen indeed. Uh, today is my favorite sermon of the year. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has changed my life on a very personal level together. I'm going to start as I do every Easter by sharing a little bit of my own story. 28 years ago, I had been depressed and fantasizing about suicide for 11 years, and I had been a drug addict for three years, and my ex-wife walked out on me. And I decided to end my life right now. And as I headed toward my knives, something super weird happened. I felt like I bounced off what was an empty doorway, and I fell on the floor. And I started talking to God, like praying really hard. And it was super different from any other prayers I had ever prayed or had ever heard anybody pray. And what I experienced was God came into my room and held me through the whole night. And in the morning, I woke up, and I never wanted drugs again. And I had tried to quit for a year, and I had not made it past 3 o'clock one time. And it was a miracle. And that is the story of how I turned my life over to God. And I can't put into words how much that has changed my life. I started talking to God every day, and it sounded like God started talking back. And that might sound super weird to you. It felt super weird to me. But it's like I developed this new sense where I could hear the voice of God and feel God's presence and get a sense from God of what was happening. It was like a, a sixth or a seventh or an eighth sense, depending on how you look at those things. And I heard God say, read the Bible. And so I read it a few times. And one day said, God, God said, go to church. I thought that was a terrible, terrible idea. This is the first time I told God, this is not a good idea. You're wrong. Uh, churches for judgmental, hypocritical people. That was my experience. God did not care about my opinion, however. And so God continued to say, go to church. I pulled out the phone book. That's how long ago this was, people. And I visited the Vineyard Church in Flagstaff, Arizona in 1993. And it went super good. So good that now I am a vineyard pastor in Invergrove Heights in 2022. And no one who has known me would ever have believed ever that this was possible, that this could possibly happen. I run into people who knew me as a kid and they go, what? You know, Jesus changes everything. Now, I'm sharing my story with you uh, for two reasons. One, so you can get a sense of where I'm coming from, but also because my story illustrates something about the life of faith that is super important to me. God loves everybody no strings attached, period. I did nothing to earn or deserve God's love, not one thing, but God loved me anyway and saved me from myself. 
And after I started reading the Bible, I saw this idea all over the life of Jesus, that he loved people without them doing anything to so-called deserve it. And what I saw was even the opposite. It's that God especially loves the people who are the furthest away. God especially loves the people who are most in need, and God especially loves the people who need him the most. And so I just want to suggest to you, maybe today God wants to show you how much God loves you, because God loves you too, all the time, forever, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how you come, God loves you. You can never opt out of the love of God. So today we're going to read a passage from the Bible, and I'm going to talk us through it a little, and then we're going to take a look at how what it says in the Bible relates to our lives today. The passage is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. It's verses 1 through 12. As some background, Jesus' friend Judas betrayed him and sold his whereabouts for money. Jesus was captured, arrested, and ordered to be put to death and crucified. His friend Peter denied knowing him. The rest of his followers have mostly scattered. And Jesus has been buried in a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it. This is a super dark time for the first followers of Jesus Christ. Now, as a culture, we have been through a super dark time. Has anyone besides me had to deal with some loneliness, some isolation, this horrible pandemic thing, and the cultural polarization that is so fun for all of us? Does that ring a bell for anybody? We've been going through our own cultural dark moment that may not compare to crucifixion, but sure has felt pretty bad. And so hopefully my prayer is um, this passage could be part of God bringing some healing and some light into your life, however you come today. So Luke 24, verse 1. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had been prepared, and they found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the man asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Now, Luke's gospel account is full of stories of the women who were influential in Jesus' life. It is the women who go to look for Jesus' body, even though the Gospels show us the men were afraid even to admit they knew him, because being a friend of Jesus is now potentially a reason for you to get arrested. But the women are perhaps braver, and they go to find Jesus and honor his life. But instead of finding the body, they find these two men in glowing robes, these angelic beings that we don't see anything about. And I'm going to ask you to do a mental exercise. Pretend you've never seen a lightsaber. You've never seen CGI or special effects. And as a matter of fact, you've never seen a light bulb. Okay? And you go into this dark tomb, and all of a sudden we got these glowing coats on these beings who obviously aren't human. And so the women are terrified, and they fall on their faces. Right? But these angelic beings remind them, don't you remember? Jesus said it many times. He was going to be betrayed and crucified and would be resurrected. Now, all these different letters about Jesus that we have today that were written by different people over the course of decades after his death, 
They show that Jesus told people ahead of time he was going to rise from the dead. And all of them show the followers of Jesus totally missing the message. And this, for me, is one of the best things about the Bible. The followers of Jesus are consistently as spiritually blind and stupid as me and the followers of Jesus that I know. I don't know anyone who would believe a guy predicting he would raise from the dead. Do you? Right? Like, I don't care what you've done. Yeah, right. Okay, I have a bridge for you. And his followers didn't believe him either. Again and again, we see that the followers of Jesus, whose stories became the letters and the writings in our Bible, they show themselves as foolish and fearful. This is absolutely not how literature in the Greco-Roman world was written. In this era, people wrote to build themselves up to make people look like heroes. You can go read all kinds of first century writings, biographical, religious, hagiographical, or otherwise, and you will see the Bible is not like any of them. The Bible shows people like we actually are. Let's get back to our story, verse 8. Then they, the women, remembered that he, Jesus, had said this. And so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, and so they didn't believe it. Here we have another authentic piece of the puzzle. Women, how many of you have attempted to explain reality to a man who refused to believe you until he investigated for himself? Hands, please. All right? That's all y'all. And I know this is me too. I don't know how many times someone has woman-splained to me reality and I've been like, I totally don't believe you. I must discover it. Ow, that did hurt, right? Like, I don't know how many times that happened. I have to learn with my own eyes. In the ancient world of this story, we have another reason here to wonder that something might be actually happening in these accounts. Women's testimony was not considered valid in court in the culture where this is written. Not like it was shady. It flat wasn't even allowed. Now, to be clear, that is completely stupid, okay? But it's another marker of the story here being something other than a legend or somebody's attempts to make up a religion. If you wanted to start those things, you did not do it on the testimony of a Joanna, two Marys, and some other women. Somebody trying to make a new religion look good would have skipped over the women being braver than the men and telling the truth before them. But the writer of Luke and Acts is a historian, and he is reporting out of the investigation that he has done into the stories of Jesus Christ. And it's not what you would expect, unless you've seen how much Jesus values women, putting them at the center of his activity, his teaching, his healing, and his miracles. Now, in this story, the women respond to this angelic visitation with faith. They go out and tell their friends about what has happened, that Jesus is risen. They are the first evangelists. They are the first people in the world to know that Jesus is alive and to share that news with other people. Verse 12, however, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and he saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Now, Jesus' friend Peter is one of the more colorful characters of the New Testament. He's responsible, actually, for a lot of the content, ranging from First and Second Peter to being most likely the source for all of Luke and Acts. And Peter is routinely shown speaking before he thinks, being impulsive, and saying the wrong thing. And so I love Peter. 
I don't know if we have any fellow ADHD sufferers or uh, joyers with me here in the room. ADHD is a challenging condition that does lead to some gifts for society on occasion. Peter's impulsivity and always being first to speak and act have left us with amazing stories. Jesus told his disciples, get out of the boat, come over here. Only Peter jumped out of the boat. You know why? Because he didn't stop to think first. That's why, right? And then he realized, oh, super scary, and then he started to sink, right? Peter is the most likely source for Luke's account here, and I love that he's honest. He shows the stories of the women who came first, and he shows that even having heard repeatedly that Jesus would raise from the dead, he's completely puzzled by Jesus' tomb being empty. Now, that is the extent of our passage today. The story, of course, goes on in the rest of the chapter to show Jesus appearing alive to many of his followers and disciples afterwards, many of them by name. Many of them would have been alive when these things were written, so you could go check it out. And I believe that this story here about the end of Jesus' life, his death, and then his resurrection is the most important story in the world. If Christianity is just a religion that helps people be better people or helps people be worse people when the church and politics get mixed up together, then that's all we've got, a bunch of fables and sayings that people can use for their own ends to do the things they were going to do anyway. But that is not at all the story that we have in the Bible. Sure, Jesus did teach, and he taught amazing and beautiful things that really transformed the moral center of humanity, but he also did Miracles, like healing a woman who had bled for over a decade, healing a leper who was totally outcast in society. And he did all these miracles that culminated in the greatest miracle of all time, which is resurrection from the dead. Jesus being resurrected changes the whole thing. Instead of a story that's supposed to help us do better on our own, as if that's possible, we have a living God who helps us. Jesus was very clear about this repeatedly. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve you. He said that while he washed his followers' feet, which was the job of the lowest slaves in his day. He said that while his followers repeatedly got busy arguing about which one of them was better than the others. I love that Jesus never smote them. You know, the God I picture in my head sometimes would have smited them. But no, Jesus said, hey, I'm here to serve you. Why don't you guys do the same for each other? He repeatedly taught and demonstrated that as the Son of God, his role wasn't to be served, but to help humanity. If the Bible is true, God wants to help you. And if Jesus is alive, that separates Christianity from other world religions. The Bible says Jesus is the exact representation of God. It says that if we want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And what we see is not what we expect, sometimes especially if you were raised in a Christian setting. We look and we do not see a judge. Jesus was merciful again and again. He hung out with the worst people of his day, and he blessed them. When they brought people caught in sin to Jesus, he said, I do not condemn you. We look to Jesus, we don't see a God who's uninvolved, who stands back and lets people live out their lives, minding their own business. Jesus was totally connected, crying when he lost a friend, 
touching outcast people with compassion, healing even the insane lunatic living in a cemetery. When we look at Jesus, we don't see a God inflicting the brokenness and suffering of the world on us. Jesus shows us a God who suffers with us, who endures the brokenness on God's self all the way to being put to death because he criticized the political and religious leaders of his day. He did tell the truth, and then he endured the consequences of telling the truth. And when we look at Jesus, we do not see a God who is concerned with religion and power. Jesus broke the religious rules over and over again. That's actually a big part of what got him crucified, possibly the biggest part. And Jesus got offered power repeatedly, and every time he turned it down again and again. When the people hailed Jesus as a king, he intentionally preached difficult words that drove people away. Jesus shows us that God is not about personal power. God is not running the show like a puppeteer. God tells the truth, as Jesus did, and then empowers other people toward good when they are humble and open, as Jesus was. Jesus may not be the God that you picture in your mind, and the Bible invites us to let go of that picture and to let Jesus reshape our understanding of who God is. God is the one who's willing to give up heaven and be born in poverty. God's willing to be a refugee as a child and to live as a carpenter. I used to think that he made like magical furniture or something. And it turns out that a carpenter in the ancient world was a mechanic. Wagon wheels were made out of wood. How often does a wooden wagon wheel break down? All the time. And so you just made wheels and wheels, maybe an axle and some wheels and some wheels. He was a mechanic like my dad. Jesus shows us that God isn't about power and me first and excluding the wrong kinds of people. Those are a false picture of who God is. God is about love and service and arms open toward everybody. 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 I have learned a lot from letting go of my assumptions about God and letting Jesus reshape who I see God as. I used to blame God for suffering, especially when it was me or people I loved. But in Jesus, I do not see a cruel God who inflicts suffering. I see a liberating God who speaks and acts toward healing again and again and again and again. This is why crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus are at the center of our faith, because following about Jesus isn't about rules that help you get better by trying harder. We already have enough of that, right? We're all already trying on our good days. It's not about figuring out what you can do to improve your life or to get rich. It is about opening our heart to a living God who serves us so that we can go and do likewise. The cross and resurrection are meant to confront our selfish views of a selfish God. We think God's like us, and if we had all the power, we'd use it to fix things, right? And what is it that needs fixing? Other people, right? Right? Like all the bad people, away with them. But then on some days, I'm the bad person. Better make an exception today. And there begins the slippery slope, right? Turns out if there's no forgiveness, we got to do away with ourselves. God uses God's power to give us freedom 
and then to serve us when our freedom gets screwed up. And we believe that's actually how we're meant to live toward one another as much as possible and toward the rest of the world. We're here as a church to love God, love people, and change the world. And we are human, so we screw it up regularly. But by and large, this is everything that we are about. God has loved us, and God's love is actually enough that we can not just offer ourselves some healing and belonging. It's enough for us to give that back toward God, to give it toward one another, and to carry it out into the world and try to bring the healing and the love of God everywhere we go. God's love is the reason we partner with loaves and fishes. We see 130 to 150 people fed four nights a week here. Mona's our chef. She was at first service, so we cannot applaud for her right now. But she is an angel. She moved 23 miles over this way to go to this church after serving here for a while, and she's wonderful. If you want to serve with loaves and fishes, you can just go to their website, or you could just show up. God's love is the reason we sold half our property below market value to a company that uses it to house long-term homeless families. These are families who couldn't make it on Section 8, couldn't make it with vouchers, couldn't make it with any of the other support offered in one of the most supportive states in the nation. And there's now over 100 kids living next door in a stable home, going to the same schools with a family life coach on site. And some of them are my friends who are members here. And uh, my friend's wife took her life uh, a year or two ago, and their kid's growing up without a mom. And I've gotten to see how much they've helped over there. They have helped a ton. They have helped dad be a dad when it was going to be impossible. I'm really grateful for what's happening next door. God's love is the reason we invest in children and youth. You know, people get suspicious about church motives, but like, I don't know if you've noticed, there aren't 20-year-olds in Invergrove Heights. They move away, you know? Like, I know all the places to go hang out, and I don't see 20-year-olds all that often, right? We bless children and youth because we want them to know the love of God for the rest of their lives. We want them to go wherever they're going to go and know that God is with them, able to carry them, able to help them through the unbelievable challenges of growing into adulthood in our culture today. God's love is the reason we run Celebrate Recovery, which is the best thing you can do at this church. It's on Tuesday nights. We use the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous to deal with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You have those. Everybody you love has those. You're thinking, yeah, the person next to me is the one who has them, right? You have those too, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I went to Celebrate Recovery for 10 years, and I could totally use a tune-up. I could go back any time because I still got hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And what we do is we offer childcare for free because it is hard for single parents to find a meeting without paying for childcare. Many single parents can't afford to do so, right? And so we invite you to come to Celebrate Recovery. God's love is the reason we invite anybody to join our services. You may not know this if you're visiting today and someone invited you. It is so awkward to invite your friends to church, right? We're the kind of church where we don't want to look like we're those Christians, right? We don't want you to think that we're some kind of weirdos who are going to shave your head and make you chant things, right? And so taking that leap and inviting you to come to church, who, raise your hand if you find it difficult to invite people to church. Stick your hand up in the air just so folks can see, yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about. If you're visiting here and someone invited you, it was hard to do, but we did it because we love you, because we pray for you, and we want you to meet the love of God here. Hopefully you get a warm welcome from us as well. God loves you as much as anybody else here, exactly as you are, whether you believe or whether you're full of doubt, however you behave, God loves you with the kind of love that never goes away no matter what you do, period. 
Let me close our services here with a time to encounter God. The way we've built our services is that we end on worship and prayer, because that's the most important things that you can do when you come here on a Sunday. And so we're going to sing a couple more songs. And during these songs, we invite you to open your heart to God, to ask God to open your spiritual eyes and ears. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back forward at this time. And if you're on the prayer team, would you come up and stand up here? If you're on the prayer team, this is a great week to not blow off the invitation and to leave your chair and come up here and pray for folks. Make sure we get some folks on both sides. So um, if you haven't had someone pray for you ever before, these folks are trained to pray a blessing for you. And so you can come up and ask for specific prayers, and we will pray for them, for yourself or someone you love. Or you can just say, I don't want to talk about anything, just pray for me, and you can see if God shows up. That happened to me in my second visit to a vineyard church. This guy was praying for me, and then he whispered into my ear all the things I was doing, and he had never met me in his life, and nobody knew me in this whole church. And so I came back, right? You can come up and get prayer today if you'd like to during the next couple songs. I already got prayer first service, and it was awesome. Um, I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able, and I'm just going to lead us into uh, prayer as we transition into worship time. Uh, the top thing that I want to pray is for you to know the love of God. Uh, you might need the love of God because it's been a hard week or like a hard era or because you've had a whole hard life. You might need the love of God for someone that you care about, and if that's the case, you can stand in for them, and we'll pray for them too. You might want to know God's love for the first time. If when I talk about God's love, it sounds like an idea or an abstraction, and you haven't personally experienced it, we want you to know, to experience, to know that you know the love of God. We'd love for that to happen today. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you pray in for the first time, come up and ask someone else to pray for you. It's, it can be a moving experience. I will lead us now. So God, uh, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming. Thank you for showing us that you are not like the God we've been told about so often, harsh and judgmental and far away and uncaring and creating evil. Jesus, we thank you for revealing the character of God as loving, welcoming to everyone, serving, giving away power. God, I ask that you would help reform our image of yourself through the lens of Jesus Christ, that you would help us let go of all the things we've been told you have to be and help us to receive you right now as you really are. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come right now. God, I ask that you would open our spiritual eyes and ears, help us to see and know you. I ask that you would cause everybody in this room to receive your love right now, your love that's always been there and always will be there. May you know the love of God. Receive us as we are, God, with our belief and our doubts, whatever it is. And we do ask for your help, God. It is too hard sometimes. Jesus, we thank you for coming to serve, and we need your help. Serve us so that we can love and serve others.